0: Welcome back to IGen Politics. This is a podcast that makes politics engaging and relevant for all generations. This is Victor Shee.
1: And I'm Jill Weinbanks, and today I am wearing a special Jill's pin. Our guest today uses wrap. I use pins, and today's pin is a storm cloud with thunderbolts coming out of it. So it's obviously for the New York case.
0: As we've talked about many times on this show, Donald Trump faces numerous investigations on the federal, state, and local levels. One in particular has been on the top of our minds recently. And like Jill said, that is the investigation by the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg into Trump's hush money payment to adult film star Stormy Daniels. We've seen a lot of movement in that investigation last week with Cohen testifying for the first time before the grand jury. Stormy talking by Zoom with reporters, and over the weekend reporting uh, that a tr- witness uh, Trump's lawyers asked the prosecutors to put in front of the grand jury have testified
1: yesterday. And I think you meant that Stormy did a Zoom with the prosecutors, not reporters. Um, but also over the weekend, Uh, Trump used his special media site to say that he was going to be arrested today, something that hasn't happened, of course, and that supporters should protest, which they are doing, but it's a pretty anemic protest. We know where that led the last time, so it is concerning despite it not having mm, sort of developed totally today. Uh, Manhattan DA Bragg may announce an indictment today, but So far as we are recording, nothing has happened. Uh, It will happen soon, I think. And there will not be an arrest. There will be an arranged self-surrender negotiated by the DA, the New York Police Department, the Secret Service, and of course, the defendant, Donald Trump. And we're gonna discuss all of this, including how soon Georgia and Special Counsel Jack Cohn may take action uh, in terms of indicting Donald Trump, with one of my favorite MSNBC hosts and its chief legal correspondent, Ari Melber. Hi.
0: Hi, Ari. It's so great to see you. Um, before, before we get into your, um, well, I guess I want our audience to first know that you host a show, as probably everyone knows, um, every weekday at 6 p.m. Eastern time, a show that is now number one, uh, viewed show. Uh, so congratulations on that. And previously you also worked on numerous Senate campaigns, it was the first, was a First Amendment lawyer at Cahill, Gordon and Reinder and wrote numerous, uh, worked for numerous publications. So, um, it's great to have you here with us. And thanks for joining us in what is probably going to be a crazy, crazy legal news week.
2: Yeah, we'll see what happens. Great to be with you. Appreciate what you guys are doing. And Jill is someone um, to beat, and many shows have called on, so I appreciate it. Well,
1: thank you very much. And when you're finished, we have a surprise guest for our audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're going to just, we'll introduce John Fugel saying, after you have departed. But we want to get right to the news that is pending. As of this minute, there hasn't been an indictment of Donald Trump but we know that uh, Robert Costello, his maybe legal advisor at one point, maybe not his legal advisor, but someone that he clearly had a conversation with, someone who may have dangled a pardon uh, from Donald Trump to Michael Cohen, and who um, has testified, he also represented Rudy Giuliani and Bannon, and he was allowed to testify after Donald Trump's lawyers asked the prosecutors, as they are allowed to do under New York law, to have him testify as their witness rather than Donald Trump testifying. And so we want to talk to you about what that was all about and what you think. Will it change anything? Um, You saw him on air afterwards. Uh, What what do you
2: think, Ari? You know, it was a really striking development. It's a reminder why predictions, whether they come from Trump on on a social page or from other people don't carry much weight because things continue to evolve. So we do know that the grand jury probe in New York looks like it's closer to the end than than the beginning. But we don't know uh, what's going on with every intricate step and whether somebody requests a witness or they add one more or while Mr. Cohen is clearly a key witness, whether there might be others that come about. I mean, you know, If next week they add two more witnesses, I don't think anyone could say, oh, I saw that coming, and this is a process. Having said that, what was going on with Mr. Costello was clearly that he is linked to this case from the Trump side, working on Trump's behalf, having represented Giuliani, Bannon, and others, um, and he appears to be trying to throw not only some sand in the gears, but attack Michael Cohen's credibility from an inside vantage point. From an outside vantage point, you could say, who well, this is an individual who, who was caught lying about certain things, who was convicted, and as everyone who's ever watched a, a mafia movie knows, sometimes people who are convicted still make for useful witnesses. So that that is to be dealt with. What Costello specifically did yesterday, apparently in the grand jury room, according to his account when he walked out, um, was detail a bunch of sordid and, and sometimes tawdry allegations about Mr. Cohen's state of mind, the stress he was under, um, He detailed that at one point under stress, Cohen said, I'm going to throw myself off the top of the building. So sort of a a, what sounds like a panicked uh, suicidal type talk. And I asked Michael about that, uh, you know, only within an hour after the charge was made because he was on the beat. And and he said, you know, that part is true. He was talking like that. He was stressed. Um, But that, in his view, is totally separate from what he's a witness to, what he was paid for and whether that becomes criminal evidence. So I think what we're seeing is something that is allowed in the process. So they have every uh, uh, ability to send these people out, whether it's going to interfere with the grand jurors, uh, a potential indictment or anything like that, I I think is hard to know, but it doesn't look to me like anything that would um, reasonably cancel out a case for probable cause. And as as you know, Jill, and I'm sure many of your listeners know, um, we're at the low bar of probable cause. Uh, When you get up to a a trial or a a criminal trial, that's reasonable doubt. It's a different different charge here. But uh, here at that level of proof, um, there's already received testimony a lot to go forward if they choose to. Very interesting. So, so, there's so many
1: things that I want to follow up on on what you just said, because your interview, um, as well as your previous interview with Trump's new lawyer, Takapina, are master classes in how to interview someone. I mean, both of them were like amazing, amazing cross-examinations. Um, and But sticking with Michael for right now, I mean, he did admit that. And of course, anybody listening would understand the pressure he was under as he was about to plead guilty as he was being threatened by the prosecutor with a case being brought against his wife. Um, so that I just, you know, as a prosecutor, two things. One, I don't see how that impacts his, uh, potential credibility as a witness. Also, as a prosecutor, I have only rarely because the kind of cases I prosecuted were all against either public figures or white-collar criminals or organized crime, your witnesses are all co-conspirators. They aren't good people. They aren't innocent bystanders in a bank robbery. They are people who participated in complex conspiracies, and they're believed because you have corroboration from other sources. And so I don't see how any of this from Costello will impact the action of the grand jury, whether they indict or don't, and even at the higher level that because no one's going to request an indictment if they don't think they can meet the trial standard of beyond a reasonable doubt. There's just no reason to do that. Yes, you can, but no one would especially against a former president of the United States. So do you think there's any impact that this could have that and and also why although he was sitting there and was available to rebut anything that Costello said, um, or any of the 300 emails that he claims he gave the prosecutor who cherry picked only the ones that he wanted to use. um, Why wasn't Michael called called to rebut? And do you think there's any possible impact?
2: I don't know why they didn't call Cohen. According to Cohen uh, on the beat, he said he was there for that purpose, but they didn't find him necessary one inference would be that they didn't find there to be enough to even worth engaging on, uh, which again, you don't need to be a lawyer for if you've ever had a a falling out or a debate with a friend where the types of stuff they're bringing up, isn't worth getting into. And sometimes you just leave it there. Or a different interpretation would be that it was of a, the kind of nature that they wanted to follow up. For example, witness says I got these twenty-five other documents. Um, they may say, "All right, we're going to close out for today," and they're going to go back, do their homework, and come back to the grand jury with or without a witness, as you know, Jill, and say, mm-hmm. uh, "You may have heard that reference. We want to f- here. Here's an update on that. Here. Whether or not they provide those documents, because again, they're not in the business of just providing to the grand jurors anything that anyone claims exists. I mean, if you brought in Mike Lindell, um, for and he's not in this case to my knowledge, but if you brought in the My Pillow guy, and he told you about, you know." hologram documents provided by aliens that don't exist, right? You're not gonna come back and talk to the grand jury that much about it, it's just gonna leave it. So I don't know which it is. I do think that um, what we're seeing is a preview of what what would be litigated in any criminal trial, which is, uh, if the defense is that Michael Cohen went rogue, okay, then what's the evidence for that? And and they would argue, as we discussed, that there's some, some problems in his history and that he is a convicted criminal. Um, there's a lot of evidence against that, though. Like as I discussed with Michael, Donald Trump reimbursed him. Yeah. If your guy went rogue and you're cheap, sometimes you don't even pay real bills. Why yes. would you slide your way to, be, to reimburse someone who went rogue, right? And so if Vic, Victor, you know, if somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, I know we talked about getting those Drake tickets. You and you know, we really did. It. I'm, we're buying them, and you plan to get them. Then you'd pay them back." But if you didn't talk to them about it, or there was just no. their mentality, and I don't know if you know, Jill, but this new Drake show is one of the most expensive uh, tours we've ever heard about. They're, they're, they're retailing for 500 bucks, 800 bucks. It's a lot of money for even a good show. It's very expensive. Right. So if somebody comes to you, Victor, and says, I know we never talked about this. They went rogue. But on your behalf, I got you a $1,000 uh, Drake ticket, and it's in a different city, so it's going to cost you 2000 by the time you're on it. You might just say, hey, man thanks for thinking of me, but you went rogue. I don't have two thousand for that right now. like yeah. not everyone's just going to eat you know so I think there's some common sense issues for any jury yeah. again, if we get to that point um, so that would all be litigated. I don't necessarily see that stopping the current yeah. uh, phase, which is whether they whether they bring a charge.
0: Well, we, we, have, we have some wrap questions to ask you later, but I first want to get to, um, Jill mentioned your amazing interview with Trump's new lawyer, Joe Tacopina. And last week you interviewed him and you brought the receipts and he basically tried to lunge and, and grab it from your hand, which is seems to me more of an admission that of course it was a lie. I'm wondering in that moment, what stood out to you about his answers to your question, his demeanor? What does that say about Trump's legal representation at the moment?
2: You know, it's, it's funny because you're in this moment and then I don't always do this on the show, but here in the in the conversation with you guys, now we're, like, talking about it in, in reflection. You know, if I'm doing my job right, I'm trying to be fair and make it a fair forum for people to engage, right? It doesn't mean that, as you said, we won't have evidence and we won't try to fact check. But it does mean that uh, being a, a legitimate level of fairness and what what used to be called civility uh, in, in that forum. And I'll say, you know, Mr. Tacopina, is a real respected trial lawyer in New York. He's, he's won trials. He's had high-profile clients. So he does what he does. My job is to keep up with him and not have the place you know completely taken over. And so that interaction got some notice, as did some of his answers. To me, the most striking answer or moment in that interview was actually when he said, of course it's not true. And you, you don't always hear someone who's an active authorized representative or lawyer for someone put it that way. And so that tells me that at a certain level, because, again, people sometimes look at this on the outside and think, oh, somebody's totally, you know, just making it up. No, they, these things are murder board. I mean, Joe, no, someone like Joe who's won cases before real juries against other tough litigators. He didn't do that by accident. He knows what he's doing. And so it tells me at a strategic level that they feel it is in their interest or their best defense is to acknowledge and some of the past was a lie, which is funny because it echoes what we just talked about with Mr. Cohen, where some of his past was not 100% truthful. So their strategy is going to be to say whatever was not 100% true uh, was not a crime. So it doesn't matter whether it was true or not, at least not in a criminal sense. And then if it was a crime, it's all on Cohen. And so while Mr. <laughs> Capina has his style and other people have their styles, that's what came through to me. And that was where he was the most sort of assertive. Uh, But again, I'd have him back on the program. I'm having uh, another lawyer on the program this week in the Georgia case as a criminal defense lawyer for for Mm -hmm. Donald Trump. And I will say this, since we're kind of talking, you know, big picture, like if we get to a point where wherever we talk to people online, on podcasts, on TV, you know, and in in the neighborhood, if we can't reason back and forth with people, like, then I think we're worse off. Now, if somebody crosses a line, if somebody is inciting an insurrection, right, or, or, somebody in your neighborhood is trying to cause violence, that's obviously very different. Um, but we're the B, you know, you mentioned that we're doing well with the audience. That doesn't mean the audience always likes every single person I have on. I just hope over time they see that we have hopefully what comes across as a fair process. And so we learned something from, from Joe.
1: I, I, it's so important to me as someone who cares about the First Amendment and facts that we do have this kind of dialogue and it is rare that we see that. So it is wonderful to see you doing that. And um, you mentioned though, when you're inciting a riot and I was not gonna ask about this, but I mean, barricades are already being brought in place, put in place, preparing for what could be a protest that is not necessarily peaceful because when Donald Trump called for a protest, he did not say a nonviolent or peaceful, he just said, Protests take back our nation. And that sounds to me dreadfully like his calls for January 6th. And so that made me wonder, you know, normally I would say there's no chance that there would be bail. He'd be released on his own recognizance. But now I'm wondering, do you think that a judge might say, and there are certain conditions for your release. One, you have to give me your passport. Two, you have to agree that you will not post anything on any social media site or say anything that could—I'm not sure exactly how the judge would phrase it. Carefully, I would say he will phrase it. Do you think that's a possibility?
2: You know, there are times where there are, of course, quite strict conditions. Um, I would be surprised by that. I think if we're analyzing what the what would come to the New York courts if they go forward, if there's a charge, is to make every attempt to show that the rule of law holds and no one is above the law, but not to do things that are debatable or that are jump balls that go that could be really overly misconstrued as something else. Likewise, obviously, there's requirements when you're booked. So if any public official is booked, um, you need their fingerprints. You need to go through that process. Um, But in my reporting, I've heard from sources who say they may very well consider a different location. I don't think that immediately has to be perceived as special treatment. Um, There are some very real world practicalities they have to consider. Um, and the same with El Chapo. Um, The nature of his capture and extradition required different locational mechanisms. It doesn't mean he was getting special treatment, quote-unquote. I do think they have to be very careful of not letting that become a trick or an excuse. Um, But no, I'd be a little surprised if there were extra conditions. I'd be surprised, quite frankly, if he was booked in the exact same manner as other people. Public officials have their own security detail. They have other considerations. And so I think we all just have to be very sober about Leaving a little bit of a berth, a wide berth for that wall, expecting the rule of law, demanding the rule of law hold. You know,
1: that's it's such a great answer. And before we run out of time, we have sort of two other categories of questions we want to ask you. And one is about rap. But the first, uh, before that, is let's talk about Georgia and maybe the federal's investigation. But Georgia there's now been a new move to quash the report and to interfere, which suggests to me that the DA must start acting much quicker because the longer the delay, the more mischief Donald Trump and his lawyers will do. And I, I mean, I think ultimately they're going to lose on the quashing and preventing her from being the prosecutor from doing anything in, in his case they're asking for. But, um, do you think there's any chance that that would succeed? Did you, have you heard any
2: reporting that suggests how soon she might act? I think she is behind the schedule she set if we yeah. follow words in, in the traditional way. sense. I've heard some people say, oh, well, imminent means something different in the law. Sure, but I don't know. I, she definitely raised expectations earlier. She hasn't delivered on that, and that, I say that either way. In other words, you can close the case and have a declination and say we're done, or you can charge. But yeah. She hasn't done either. So that's curious. We may later learn. There are reasons for that. We may learn they were late developments. We don't know that delay means problem, but we do know delay means not what she said within the last few months. So this attack that they filed Monday is striking because uh, they don't have a case to file to. Donald Trump hasn't been charged with anything in Georgia. So they're kind of coming in uh, on some of these claims. Saying basically that the D, they believe the DA is biased, and they think the grand jurors speaking out in certain forums is unfair to them, and and that's perfectly fine to discuss and, and litigate, but again, litigate in what context? The relief they're seeking is about something that has not happened, right? right. It's the opposite of, again, Victor, if you, uh, if you if you Drake friends, say you owe them a thousand dollars, and they. Sue you for $1,000 because they say you own the ticket. And then you reply, like, you guys are debating over a $1,000 civil case, right? Here, there's no case. So the relief they seek is there to be no case. But currently, there is no case. So that is a very interesting thing. It could just be offensive bluster. It could be that they wanted to find a forum to complain about the grand jury statements. Or, again, I'm trying to be as careful as possible. Or an alternative is it could be that they have reason to believe that charges are coming and this is their first move. So it's interesting in that sense, which is why we've been talking to, to uh, Donald Trump's Georgia uh, uh, lawyers to 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 such that out and to hear what what their arguments are.
0: So I, I hope everyone watches that interview and we've talked a lot about some heavy stuff about legal news, but you did invoke um, uh, Drake's name a couple of times throughout this show and something that Joel and I are dying to know completely unrelated to our topic right now is your love for rapping and you often bring on rappers on your show. Talk to us about that. And then also what are some of the rap songs and artists that you're listening to this week to help you get through it?
2: <laughs> Great question. A um, couple things. I mean, right now I've been I, I listen to a lot of different artists. I will say at a time like like this morning I was listening to Future, which is just kind of energy pump up music. Um, if I'm about to go on set, sometimes I'll put something on that's like that if I'm if I'm trying to get in a certain kind of mood. Um, in terms of new artists and stuff, I'm also listening to. Um, listen to a lot of Benny the Butcher, Griselda, Baby Keem, um uh, Lizzie Vert, who I think is is definitely like having a big moment. So those are the kind of current artists and there's a lot of old school stuff I love in all genres. I and mean, okay. I love Lena Simone and Grateful oh. Dead and Bob Marley, a lot of different stuff. Um, as for the other part of your question, which which comes up is, you know, I went to Garfield High School, which is a big public high school in Seattle. It's Quincy Jones School. Mm-hmm. Hip hop mm-hmm. was a big part of that at that time. Uh, as it is now, global culture. And so for me, it wasn't any special extra thing. It was what we were all about. It was the definitely the mood of my formative years coming up. And I learned as much from certain songs and artists about what felt like the real world, the real history, uh, real critiques of the justice system, as you do from the traditional textbook. And I think that's been borne out. So on the show, sometimes it's just fun and we're talking to people, or there's a lyric or we have an artist on it. It's cool. Other times, We're quoting songs about police brutality that were not only um, not accepted at the time, but were like actively attacked. I mean, we did a segment reminding people that there was a song about police brutality that the FBI got involved in trying to pressure the record label against putting out the song, um, which is quite striking when we think about where we are today and everything else. And so I think that it's people learn things from different ways. I mean, people, I, I never think of it as I get that there's a reaction to it. But I don't think quoting a song is any different than quoting a movie. And that's pretty standard, right? Or you say, oh, we're in the bottom of the ninth, or this is just like The Godfather. To me, that hip hop culture was always something that was my entree and my opening just to learning about so many things. So that's how I see it.
0: That is totally fascinating. And hopefully, you know, for, for our generation, I mean, for, for young people, I know rapping is a big, big part of, of the culture and the music that we listen to. So, and that's probably maybe another reason why you're the number one most watched show on MSNBC is you, because maybe you attract the audience where young people feel like, oh, like we can listen to an, an anchor talk about rapping. Well, of, of course, I, yeah, I was going to just
1: say, you also proved you're an intergenerational person yes, because you yes. actually mentioned people that I know. And <laughs> I know when I was on your show uh, live with the Five Nine. I did so much research before <laughs> listening to his music, and I wore a caterpillar pin because one of his one of his songs Hell is yeah. caterpillar. And it, it, it and he was so lovely. He was so nice. Well, that's he was great, totally
2: not what I expected. Well, that's such a great example. Like, and that's the other thing that that I think is important when we have an open mind in all directions, right? So yeah, we had Royce to Five Nine, big Detroit artist, with Jill, and that. Duo is something I don't think you're going to see everywhere. You saw it on the beat, so no, we no. that. We've done a bunch of those. I will say, especially Victor, when you talk about like people get their news different ways now. For folks who are listening on the podcast, we post daily uh, our top videos, which anyone can watch for free on YouTube, and our YouTube playlist is really easy to remember. It's MSNBC.com/ari. Mm-hmm. So MSNBC.com/ari, and that's just directs you right to YouTube. Doesn't even go to our corporate you know, MS page. And then you're on YouTube and you can see the most recent one. So for example, if someone's uh, listening to this and they say, Oh, I don't have cable. I don't know where to get it. You can go to MSNBC.com slash R. You can find the lawyer interviews we just discussed and watch them there. And I love that because yes, I do work for a news company, uh, but I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty committed to trying to get the work out there. And so yeah. I love that in this yeah. environment, even if you don't pay for cable, it's kind of like not being paywalled on the New York times. You get a certain number of articles free. Uh, you can go out, And and find those there. And we do that. And I do know, I mean, the data shows younger people aren't buying linear cable. I don't personally see how that would reverse. I think things evolve. So uh, even if you don't have cable, you can find everything we just talked about there. So thanks, you guys. Wonderful. Thank Thank you you so much for
1: joining us. And we will put all of those links. Also, I mean, you're on Instagram. You're on everything. So we'll we'll put all your links on uh, our show notes. And people will be able to find you there. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, guys. Thanks Thanks so much,
0: Ari. Okay,
1: and now we we are back,
0: back. Yes. Okay.
1: All right. I, I don't
0: know if our special guest is here with us, but just to give you all a little bit of a teaser, and then if he's not here, maybe Jill and I, we can talk a little bit about this week, this historic week that is um, before us. But we have with us, uh, momentarily, should be joined by John Fugelsang. Um, Jill has been on stage with John as part of the Stephanie Miller Sexy Liberal Blue Wave Tour, which I actually saw in LA, and he was there too, so it's fun to see that. Although, Jill, you weren't there, but um, yeah. you were, they were there a few weeks before in Chicago where you were. Um, um, and John Fugelsang is smart. He is at the same time hysterical. He's an American actor, comedian, writer, television host, political commentator, and television personality, and host of. Tell Me Everything weekdays on Sirius XM Insight. Uh, I think it's uh, channel number 121. His full bio, including films and TV appearances, is on his website, www.johnfugelsang.com slash bio. So um, we will be joined by John any moment. But Jill, maybe before we do that, um, let's talk about um, this week, which, oh, there John is. Hi,
1: there John. He is. Hi, hello. Hi, John. <laughs>
0: Good
3: afternoon. How are you? I'm one minute early. hope you don't mind.
1: No, we're we're delighted. You're exactly, your timing is perfect. We just introduced you. Oh, how important. It was perfect. Yes. Yes, we gave you a very good introduction.
3: Thank you you both. You would have
1: liked it if you had heard it. So you'll have to listen to the show to
3: do it. I'm completely chuffed and honored and humbled virtually. Thank you.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was saying saying
3: nice things about you guys that you'll never hear a few minutes ago as well.
1: (laughs) Darn, darn. Okay, well, we'll have to do the sexy liberal show again so that you can say them to my face. That would be the best.
3: <laughs> Let me tell you something, Mister She. I've been part of this tour for ten years. The sexy liberal tour. We've sold out yes. all over the. Lily Tomlin's joined us on stage. Martin Sheen, and he's a former president. But the two, time- <laughs> <laughs> two times Ms. Weinbanks. I mean, we have. We've had. We've had. Adam Schiff has joined us. We've had Pelosi has joined us on stage. But the two times Ms. Weinbanks has joined us on stage in Chicago. My God, how the crowds go insane for her. And let me tell you, these Chicago crowds know about being insane. insane.
0: I'm originally from Chicago, so I know that crowd well. But I've never been able to attend a sexy liberal tour with Jill. But I did attend one where you were in L.A. So I guess there's. I saw you. I think it was Glenn Kirshner and a couple other people earlier this November. It was right before the elections. And that was very fun. But I'm going to, to go back to Chicago one of these days and, and attend the sexy liberal Watching watch the...
1: me fall flat on my oh, face God. as I approach the stage. People are you know still talking about that.
3: You're still talking about that. Here's what happened. She tripped <laughs> and fell in the theater. She came on stage with me and Margaret Cho and Representative Jan Schakowsky. Wow. This woman was bleeding. And she came on stage and was, she bled for the resistance, Victor. She oh, bled for us. I did. That's, it's that's true. Dedication. That's dedication. You sedication. can
1: see the bloody knee because we sat on high chairs. Oh. And there I was on a high chair with a bloody knee. Oh, well. I mean, oh.
3: I've got pictures, Victor. I have an NFT I can sell you of her. <laughs> yeah, In the future, that's going to be valuable stuff. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. Exactly. Um,
0: so we have a lot to ask you, um, John, and I, I think maybe the, the first off is, I mean, this, is, this case is on all of our minds, this, this case from Manhattan. You're in New York. What has it felt like in New York and what's your reaction to what we're seeing right now?
3: Well, I mean, it's interesting. Happy uh, arrest missed for all those who, who celebrate and believe. Um, (laughs) you you know, here's the deal. This is the Stormy Daniels case. I I have to try to keep up with all the different cases because uh, yes, that we we have to remember uh, Stormy Daniels, um, but like, how many different areas is he under investigation for right now, Jill? How many different indictments is this well, man on the barrel At up? least,
1: not counting civil cases, not counting uh, the rape case. Which oh, is let's civil, count the
3: rape yeah. cases. Too. Okay, the
1: rape. Well, there's the rape case, which is also in New York. Many civil cases in New York. There's, uh, of course, what is happening in the District of Columbia Department of Justice under Jack Smith and there's Georgia, D-O-G- yeah, D-O-G Mar-a-Lago, Mar-a-Lago and January sixth, and of course Georgia.
3: Jackson, and Memphis, multiple Georgia.
1: cases possible in Georgia.
3: There's state yeah. of New York as well. We've got Fonnie Willis in Georgia, Letitia James in the state of New York. But that's and civil.
1: Letitia is oh, civil.
3: Oh, fine. If you want to split hairs about it. Listen, <laughs> I, I, I'm I, not orthodox about Erasmus. I think Erasmus belongs to all of us. And we should celebrate okay. all the different colors of venality and criminality. There's also, you know, the, all of his criminal corporate enterprises and then there's yes. uh alvin bragg and then there's a, a six with the with the doj and the sec uh yes. which, which about about his website as well the and then there's totally my not. friend eugene Carroll. look there's a lot of malfeasance to keep track of so when it comes to stormy daniels i'm delighted to know that his hookup with her was probably the most expensive 12 seconds of his life um, <laughs> and, when you're going to defend <laughs> Trump against this, and here's the thing, y'all, every, all of your viewers have loved ones who are in the Trump cult, right? Every progressive and liberal has, a, has a, a Trump lover in their life, and we still love them, just like every Trump lover has a sane person they ignore in their life. So when you're talking to your Trump loved ones about this case, you've got to ask, do you believe that he slept with her and paid her $130,000 to be quiet? Or do you believe his official story that he never slept with her, but paid her six figures anyway. In other words, he's paying women he never had sex with to say they never had sex. And, and also, you've got to ask them, do you believe that Michael Cohen paid Stormy Daniels one hundred thirty k to lie, breaking campaigns, finance law, all on his own? Or did Donald Trump admit that he reimbursed Michael Cohen the $130,000? They're all true. It's all true. And I think it's great that they're going after him for this. I don't have a very, my my unpopular opinion is I don't care if Donald Trump ever goes to prison. I don't need to see if Orange clashes with Orange. For me, uh, karma is already underway. He will be shoveling money into a furnace of defense lawyers for the rest of his natural life. So you don't need to see him in jail. Stop and smell the train wreck. He's already being bled dry for his crimes. I say stop and smell the devastation.
1: Boy, I hope you're right. I'm just not sure that he pays people he engages. So he may have bills in the millions, but will he pay them? I know people who have been stiffed by him after doing work for him uh, in construction. So it's hard to know. And
3: by the way, look at look at the January 6th uh, rioters. They were the latest group of private contractors to actually believe Donald Trump would reward them for their labors. (laughs) They found out otherwise.
1: Very good point. And, and the Republicans are just continuing, despite all the evidence of how the elections have turned out, to defend him. They're hard at work attacking Alvin Bragg. They're calling him a Soros-funded, uh, left-ring, crazy person. Soros-funded.
3: Sor- yes. I guess the word globalist was out that day, so they went with Soros-funded.
1: Uh, yeah. I don't get how they think it's going to work again. And yes there is a loyal group of trumpers who will never change their mind and by the way i don't i am blessed i do not have any in my family i did have but they converted at least they say they converted but i do have a college sorority sister who is a trumper and i tried having a conversation with her and i'm going to put you on the phone next time maybe you (laughs) could accomplish i I was totally failed totally failed
3: I finally did a hashtag called um, Ask a Trump Defender, and it was just like 75 very simple questions to ask a loved one in your life. You can look it up anytime, hashtag Ask a Trump Defender. And it's just simple questions to ask your loved one to see how they handle it. I mean, it's a cult that is beyond reason, beyond facts, beyond scripture, beyond the Constitution, beyond reality. And, And the congressmen, as you well know, are craven cowards, um, Ron DeSantis, probably the most cowardly, because he's trying to attack Alvin Bragg and attack Donald yeah. Trump at the same time. Yes, and, yeah. And drag for it, as well he should be. And Kevin McCarthy, who has caved so many times, there are miners trapped inside of him. Uh, <laughs> is now playing the same game the rest of them are playing, which is, ignore what your eyes say, they are so terrified of the right-wing MAGA base, that the, even though they know Trump is a liar and a criminal, they'll go back on their own public statements because they care more about this illusion of power than they care about actually being responsible public servants. Yeah. So I, I I think it's great. Let them grow old. Defend. Remember the. Remember the. Remember Jill. Everyone, the guys who grew old defending Nixon. Remember, you <laughs> had these eighty-year. Ah, Nixon wasn't bad. He just got caught. <laughs> Those guys. Yes, I remember well. <laughs> <laughs> he's been on defending Donald Trump for years. Yeah. All I care about is that he's never able to appoint judges again. I don't care if right. he's in jail. I just don't want him setting policy. He can burn yeah. down the Republican yeah. Party. Because it's no longer the house of Lincoln. It's not even the house of Quayle.
0: I mean, Jill, you say this often, which is, I mean, like in terms of penalties. I mean, like you said, John. I mean, we you know, arresting you know may, may make us you know feel really good, but the penalty that really matters is whether or not he can ever hold political office again, and that's what's going to matter. And so, you know, I, I share your sentiment. I just hope whatever happens to him, hopefully, he never. Although uh, I do have a pin political.
1: of him playing golf in an orange jumpsuit, and I'd <laughs> oh, like to bad. have a reason to wear that pin. So. <laughs> You know, listen. I, I
3: respect all faiths. Yeah, I respect all faiths and superstitions and all spiritual tokens. So I, I think it's a valid pin. God bless it. it just for me, it's like I, I I know so many liberals who've been through this so many, and and sane conservatives too who've yeah. been yeah. through this so many times. And and you know, after Robert Mueller, and we're all we're all just like Rudolph promised there'd be an indictment before Christmas, and and. I, I just, yeah, I just no, I, say, I,
1: I, I totally agree. I don't care. I don't particularly want him to go to jail. I want him won't. to be held accountable, and that means convicted.
3: But well, it doesn't, will do that. But yeah, I don't care not. the
1: penalty other than that he can't hold office again. Right. I agree. Well, it's funny we're having this conversation
3: literally on the 20 year anniversary of our invasion and occupation of Iraq.
1: Yes, because
3: that's yeah. t- speaking of accountability, 20 years ago today. We, what do we have? We had a semi-literate Republican millionaire at birth president who lost the popular yeah. vote, perpetuating a lethal fraud, yeah. causing suffering based on a lie. And when it was proven that president had lied, he walked away with no accountability. Yeah. I'm glad that can't happen today. Right. Right. Right.
1: right. And, <laughs> and I have to tell you, when we go back to that one, when I saw the presentation of weapons of mass destruction, uh, because I had experience in intelligence from being in the Pentagon and having observed intelligence, I knew that there was something wrong with that. I knew that there wasn't a very good case being made. But let's talk about something else. Let's talk mm-hmm. about wokeness. And, you know, this is the new favorite term of Republicans. And yes. they've made yeah. the word woke, which most people would define as being alert and aware and knowing Antibetic. what's going on. Yeah. All positive things, and they've turned it into this attack on Democrats and made it a horrible wow. thing. What is going on, and how do we how do we deal with that?
3: Well, I mean, I think you nailed it. You know, um, every generation it seems has a new term they use to smear the very concept of empathy. You know, when I was a kid, there was this uh, expression "bleeding heart liberals," and I'm like, bleeding like like Jesus, mm-hmm. bleeding heart. <laughs> <laughs> And then it became politically correct liberals. And I'm like, well, okay. Political correctness was just about using language that not be hurtful to people. Does it go too far? Absolutely. I was once doing a TV show and I I called Naomi Campbell, a beautiful black supermodel. And this white producer said, don't call her black, call her African-American. And I said, she's British. So yeah, it, it it goes too far. Uh, but then we got then we got social justice warriors, and I was like, "Oh, like Jesus again?" Okay, uh, and now it's woke, which used to be a term that meant being aware of racism and how prevalent it is. Lead Belly used yeah. "woke" in a song almost a hundred oh. years ago. It's now been weaponized. It, it used to mean you know being aware of racism. It was a term of anti-racism. Right now, it's been weaponized by racists to smear. Yeah. Anti-racism. And it's a nifty little word that means anything we don't like is woke. So whatever they couldn't smear before, they now have this umbrella term. So if you don't like women having places in the office uh, of, of equality, well, then I've had it with this woke feminism. If you don't like African Americans demanding an end to police brutality, let's not forget MAGA was a lot more offended by Colin Kaepernick's knee than Derek Chauvans. I-, I don't like all this all this woke racial politics, LGBT people. I don't like all this all this woke stuff in the school. It just, it means nothing. It means whatever bigots don't like, they get to call it woke. Right. And, and Ron DeSantis, as you guys probably know, he has this ridiculously stupid stop woke law, which is another one of Ron DeSantis's white fragility laws. You know, anything that might make the child of a racist feel uncomfortable, you can sue the school. That's literally all it was. And as yeah. you guys know, DeSantis's attorney was in court in Florida, and the judge asked, what is your definition of woke? This is Ron DeSantis's office's official definition, the belief there are systemic injustices in American society and the need to address them. Under oath, they'll tell the truth sometimes. That's all it meant. So this is the latest <sighs> example of yeah. some Americans who are more outraged over protests against racism than they are at actual racism.
0: Well, last week, there was this really striking moment, I'm sure um, you saw this, where uh, Brianna, uh, Brianna Joy, I think her name is, she interviewed yes. uh, Bethany Mandel and basically asked her, let's just hold on, let's just step back for a second and analyze, what does this word woke mean? And Bethany Mandel it's... basically didn't even answer. And she said that this will be a b- moment that goes viral. It was a moment that went viral. Mm-hmm. But I mean, these Republicans- Just to fill in, mean,
1: she wrote a book about this. She wrote a book, yeah. She yeah. wrote yeah. a book about this, yeah. Oh, yeah. and she literally- Stutter, she was Didn't, silent for a while yeah. and she it's stuttered amazing. and stumbled and she could not define. Yeah. She said, well, it's very complex. It's very difficult. If you it's can't define what think, you wrote yeah. a book about, well, then what can I say? And God right. bless
3: Brianna for asking the question, because right. I ask it all this the, the time. Question. I ask it on right. every show I do with the conservative brother or sister. I, I also ask them, by the way, to define socialism. They can't do that one either. Try that if you want to hear a really long pause sometimes. Yeah. So, I mean, my question is, I mean, how how do they, I mean, these are words that, I mean, for my generation,
0: I was talking to a friend the other day, and we were talking about critical race theory and wokeness in these terms, and for, for us, we didn't even hear, hear of the word critical race theory until Republicans mentioned it, because it's something that Everything. we aren't yes. taught in middle school and high school. It's something that's taught in law school. And it's a very complex and um, difficult subject to understand. But how are Republicans able to take these just meaningless words and, and turn it into something that is so combative
3: and so kind of denigrating of, of liberals, of Democrats? But that's it, right? Like you just nailed it. Everything the right wing trolls scream at us about, Victor, is something I learned about from a right wing troll. Antifa, <laughs> I didn't know who George Soros was until someone told me I was taking his money. Sharia law, <laughs> Cloward Pippin, the deep state, uh, critical race theory, yeah. Saul Alinsky. How about that one, Jill? Saul Alinsky. Uh, Maybe you had heard of Saul I Alinsky. I know the name.
1: Uh, yes. I never yes. did until
3: Newt Gingrich taught me I worshipped him. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's yeah, the game, that's, right? It's just, it, uh, it is. It's like Democrat Party. There's stuff <laughs> that works inside the bubble, right? Right. Barack Obama still hasn't shown his birth certificate inside the bubble the bubble doesn't know that Trump admitted Obama was born here in 2016 so these words are very piercing inside the bubble when they get out among you know earth uh then they're not as powerful and so I think the strongest thing we can do is just when we have to engage with our right-wing friends ask them simple questions and don't hate them because that's what they want refuse to hate them back
1: well, the other thing, and it's something that you do so well that I want to at least get in this last question for you, which is using humor as a communications tool. And I, we have uh, Mehdi Hassan is going to be a guest next week. Um, yes. I think it's next week uh, on yeah, our show. Yes. And um, he just wrote a book about how to win every argument. And one of the tactics he says in terms of even debating is using humor. And yes. obviously anyone listening to this Part of our interview is going to want to listen to your podcast because you are funny, genuinely funny. But have you found that it is an effective way to maybe get yes. facts across?
3: Deeply. You know, um Billy Wilder said something once that is uh, the quote I've lived by for many years now. If you're going to tell people the truth, make it funny or they'll <laughs> kill you. <laughs> I used to have that over my desk, um, yeah. and, and John Lennon also said something that stuck with me, which is uh, that humor or, or ridicule and nonviolence are the two things they can't handle. They can yeah. they can they can take care of you for anything else you do, but humor and nonviolence they still don't know how to handle. And I have learned there's a reason why people trust comedians more than they trust journalists or oh, or politicians yeah. because for a joke to work there has to be an element of truth in it, right? Oh, yeah. Like you recognize, oh, that's real. And then you laugh involuntarily. It's a beautiful little system we have as humans. So that's why I think people do trust great comics more than they trust politicians. But it's essential, Jill, for me and in, in my line of work because for one, <laughs> I'm not as smart as you guys. I don't have, I can't make it clever like you guys do. I got to throw jokes in to make it bearable when I talk. But, but also I find humor is a delivery system for truth. Yeah. and so yeah. it's been something that uh that I lean on heavily and and it really works. Well, well I
1: for one love listening to yeah. you and find that I learn from you and enjoy it and it's one of those things it's like when I have to really tune out it's a great way to do it is to Go to something that will make you laugh and forget the trauma that you're suffering at that very moment. So you've helped me today because I was well,
3: having a I mean, Jill, there's drugs day. for that. There's drugs for that too, uh, America. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not on this show. We don't okay. do that. <laughs> no, no.
0: John, thank you so much for joining. And um, this has been so wonderful. And I hope that, um, you know, maybe this week will be Erasmus week. Uh, it, it'll
3: be, uh, like you said, we will be anxiously awaiting. Thank you so much for That's joining. Even if Erasmus never comes, it's about the Erasmus in our hearts. That's what matters <laughs> okay? That's exactly. If you believe Erasmus is real Then it's real in our hearts But you don't need a physical one uh, Thank you both So I'm on SiriusXM uh, Progress yes. every night You both have been on the show You're both invited back Please And our show is now a podcast You can hear all the celebrities and comics and politicians we have I'm so honored to be on this podcast. I listen to this podcast. I love you guys together. And I Thank love what you. you do and are bringing into this world. Our country needs well, us. Well, we hope
1: you'll come back again. And we're going to post all of these things on our show notes so that our audience can find you again. Because Thank you so much. Because you're worth finding. Thank you, John. It's been a
3: pleasure. Thank you, guys.
0: Thank you so much okay so Jill that was a wonderful wonderful um, episode with both Ari Melber and John Fugel saying um, I think maybe we can end just by talking about I mean this moment in American history when we are about to see if if everything that we're seeing right now if all the facts point to where they are the First, former president becoming indicted. I know you have long been an advocate for Richard Nixon to be uh, indicted as um, when he was president or when he left office, and that it would would have set a precedent um, for future presidents, for future leaders. What do you make of this moment um, that we're living in right now and, and what that will send for, to future leaders and generations?
1: I think it's long overdue, obviously, yeah. going back to 1970s when I thought it should have happened, but it's long overdue in this case. We have now, as as we mentioned in talking to Ari, that you have a situation where Fannie Willis is has delayed taking action, and now there is a defense strategy in place that could further delay it. And the longer the delay, the more mischief that can be done by Donald Trump, uh, both in terms of calling for protests, but also in terms of interfering with. Accountability for his actions, and I say that all on the belief that what we know publicly are provable by evidence that can be admissible in a courtroom, and that there is enough to meet the burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, this is not a political issue. This is simply a matter of we have laws; they must be enforced, and. Also, I mean, there's been complaints about, well, gee, the New York DA's case shouldn't be the first one because it's not the most significant. Any violation of law by any citizen of our country needs to be prosecuted. And whether you're the former president or a, a former, I don't know, Walmart greeter, it doesn't matter. Your culpability is your culpability and it needs to be prosecuted. So I think the message is, we need to get on with this. We need to have whatever's going to happen, happen. And I haven't checked my phone during the show, so I don't know. There's
0: Should nothing I yet. Check? There's nothing did yet. Did check? I, I, okay. I did. Yeah. Yep.
1: I turned mine off because the phone rang while we were on air. And so I turned it off. So I haven't looked, but yeah. I guess as of this minute, as we say goodbye to our audience and ask them to come back every week for another show, um, there's nothing to report.
0: But- yeah, nothing to report yet, but maybe maybe there will be something to report next week when we come back to you right. on Tuesday. And we will, just like Jill said, we will be joined by Mehdi Hassan, who will talk about his great new book um, about how to win arguments, how to be a better persuader, a better debater, how to talk to uh, Trump supporters, Republicans. Maybe we'll even mentioned some humor with him. Um, join us next week for that episode, and we'll talk about more with him about what, you know, if Trump is indicted, we'll break that down with Mehdi Hassan. Uh, please join us next week for that episode, and thank you so much for watching this episode with Ari Melber and John Fugel, saying we hope you enjoyed it, learned a little bit, and hopefully laughed a little bit uh, with all of the uh, you know legal news of the week. So thanks so much, everyone, for watching, and we will catch you next week. If you listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, you can rate us, you can uh, subscribe to us wherever you follow your podcast, so you don't miss an episode. Or you can find us right here on youtubecom Politicon for our weekly episodes, which stream live every Tuesday.
1: But remember, for those of us who are old school and have non iPhones, you can listen on any other place you get your podcast. I know I do. And uh, we will post all these links in our show notes because I think this week we got some great links.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. Thanks so much. And we will see you all next week.